Hello and welcome to the Science and or Fiction Podcast. I am Taylor Sloan. And I'm Lucas Moore. All right. Welcome to episode 10 of the Science and or Fiction Podcast. That's right. This is episode 10, uh, which means we have, for the last 20 plus weeks, been making this podcast. I think we started sometime in April, and here we are now, almost to the end of September. It is still happening. Thanks in large part to all of you, the listeners who keep uh, downloading and subscribing and playing this podcast. And now we have yet another way where you can help us to create the Science and or Fiction podcast or to keep creating it. We have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash sci and or fi, uh, you can for as little as a dollar uh, become our patron and help us continue to make this. Lucas, why should people become our patron on Patreon? Well, I think primarily the reason they should at first go to the Patreon page is because uh, they will get to see what we look like. Right. Uh, through, the, through the magic of, of audio, you get to hear what we hear, what we sound like, but you don't actually get to look at us. And so uh, there's a nice little video that we have where you can see what we look like. And right. uh, hopefully, hopefully that's good. Um, but then there are also some really cool benefits if you decide to support us on the Patreon uh, we'll give you shout-outs in the show and stickers and maybe a T-shirt. Um, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Right. And who among us, when listening to our favorite podcast, hasn't wondered, what did the host look like? And then had your expectations shattered uh, by finding out what the podcast hosts actually look like. Uh, pretty much with the exception of Roman Mars. I had an idea of what he <laughs> looked like just from hearing his buttery smooth voice. Uh, we may or may not look exactly like what you think we do, but, uh, how will you know until you go to the Patreon page? And like Lucas right. said, there are some perks for people who give us anything just as little as a dollar a month. Uh, and we have actually this week, a new subscriber on Patreon, a new patron. Uh, and, uh, that is Tony Troxel. So this is your shout out, Tony. Thank you for being a uh, loyal fan and supporter of the Science and or Fiction podcast. Uh, Tony is uh, the host of a podcast himself called uh, Indiana Geeking, the Indiana Geeking podcast, which I listen to. Uh, it's great. And being a Hoosier myself and Lucas, you also being a Hoosier uh, exiled to California for grad school. <laughs> um, I, you know, Indiana is a great place for geeks. We have a lot of cool geeky stuff that happens here in Indianapolis, especially And Tony. Uh, has been a uh, a loyal uh, devotee uh, and champion of the geek scene in Indianapolis and uh, the wider Hoosier area. So thank you, Tony, for what you do uh, as a geek in Indiana uh, and uh, as a patron of the Science Center Fiction Podcast. You can find Tony on the web on Twitter. He is at Indiana Geeking, and his website is geekingindiana.com. So thank you, Tony. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Seriously, being the first person to subscribe or, or support on a Patreon is it's always a bit of a, a you know a leap off a cliff into the dark. Um, but we hope that we will continue to create uh, the kind of podcast that you like to listen to. That is definitely the plan. <laughs> All right, so uh, follow up. What do you got for uh, follow up this week? Yeah, so for follow up this week, um, I think our big big thing was uh, this this week, uh, just two days ago, as we record. Our, uh, our buddy Cassini took a dive into the upper atmosphere of Saturn, and yes. uh, it makes us very sad, but kind of, I don't know, nostalgic a little bit. Um, but Taylor and I spent uh, the evening and early morning hours um, on Twitter just talking about cool stuff about what's going on with Cassini and kind of tracking its progress. So if you want a cool timeline and some, and some fun facts about Cassini, check out the Twitter uh, there's lots of cool stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, at Cy and or Fi. If you're not following us on Twitter, please do. We tweet cool stuff, not just about us. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, um, you know, I, I was, uh, as I was kind of reminiscing on Cassini, obviously we've talked about it a few times on the podcast so far, but also this is something that's kind of important to us because we've grown up with it. I mean, we were in elementary school when Cassini Huygens launched, uh, and, uh, you know, we we are adults now uh, in our mid to late twenties. <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the Cassini mission and being able to see all the cool stuff and and uh, dive into all the cool science that Cassini has um, provided 
uh, it's just really incredible. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was putting together that little kind of thread, tweet thread of, of just fun little Cassini facts, it's taken uh, almost 400,000 images and another cool fact, uh, I think 3,984 as of Friday night, um, scientific papers, so papers that were published in scientific journals uh, or you know, published for peer review in some form, uh, were written based on the science that was gained from the Cassini-Huygens mission. So very cool. And yeah, watching the end of it was just really bittersweet. Um, I was... The, kind of at the tail end I got to watch uh the JPL YouTube channel live and NASA TV and and watch the uh interviews with the people who worked on the team and and watched the control room as they got the final signals and I uh let's just say that there was somebody in my kitchen cutting some onions ooh it's a little little dusty in your in your place huh yeah just a little bit <laughs> I really should get on that um you know it's just uh, uh my eyes were a little bit misty uh, it was, that was, it was a special thing and, and, and just really cool. And, and one of the things that they talked about at NASA at JPL was how much of a multi-generational thing it is. And, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, space science is very much a multi-generational thing. It's, uh, you know, with projects like this where probes take, uh, decades to complete their missions or to get to, you know, or continuing their missions over the course of decades, you'll have new generations taking over those projects and, and coming in. So very cool. And, and to see mm -hmm. that people who were in elementary school and our, our age working on that mission was just really cool. Yeah. Uh, another piece of follow-up, speaking of cool space science, um, a couple weeks ago, almost a month ago, there was an eclipse. There um, was. Yeah, I don't know how much of it you got to see, Taylor, in Indiana. Right. Um, it, was uh, it... It wasn't, it wasn't great in, in Indianapolis, at least. Um, I was at work that day, and I remember, uh, I mean, we were out on a, a run. For those of you who don't know, I work for a large municipal emergency medical services on an ambulance. Um, I won't say who my employer is, and uh, don't ask, because I won't tell you. Um, but we were on a run, on an ambulance run, and... Uh, around the time of totality and so it was very interesting obviously the sky got a lot darker uh and it seemed to be that kind of darkness like it's about to storm but there weren't that many clouds but it was pretty overcast i didn't really get to see i didn't have any glasses or anything like that to see the eclipse so for me it was just the the darkening of the sky around the time of totality which was i mean it was definitely fascinating uh as far as uh phenomena go what about you how was it in california Oh, uh, well, I mean, I w also was not in the path of totality, so we didn't have the entire, you know, sun's disc covered. But being in graduate school, I'm with a group of effectively professional nerds, so we all had a good time with it. Um, it was, I think it was a Monday morning. We all, I think between maybe there was 15 of us who were just kind of hanging out at a picnic table outside the chemistry building. And between that many of us, I think probably two thirds of us brought glasses and we kind of shared the rest and... Yeah, it was really cool seeing, you know, a giant dark disc covering the sun. Um, it, uh, it it got kind of cold for a little while there. Um, I think we had about 85% coverage where I am. Um, you could probably figure out where I am based on that. Please don't be creepy. Uh, but, it yeah, it just got cold. And the uh, the shadows, see, normally when when the sun goes down, you know, you have less sunlight. But the shadows start to wash out a little bit because of the... The sun's at a weird angle, but this was really strange because the shadows were still crisp. They just weren't defined, like they, they just were lighter, like the, the shadows weren't as, as much contrast because there was just less sunlight. Right. That's that's something that I think I missed out on, even if, you know, I, I obviously was not quite in the path of totality. And I think in Indianapolis, we were around 80-ish uh, percent, uh, which again, you probably figure, well, I'm, I'm in, you know I'm in Indianapolis. I've mentioned yeah. that a couple times, but... <laughs> Suffice to say, also, don't be creepy uh, to either of us, please. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I with it being overcast, the light was so diffuse anyway from the sun that there really oh, were yeah. the same kind of crisp shadows that we get on a sunny, cloudless day, as most days are in, you know, central California. Right. Um, so. What the 
one thing I saw is that there were a, a good number of people who had bought Eclipse glasses from Amazon or other retailers that turned out to be fake or, mm. or at least not very effective. And I think there's actually a couple of lawsuits going right now because there are some people who have actually lost a pretty significant amount of their sight. Mm. So next time there's an Eclipse coming through, uh, NASA publishes a list of what they consider to be reputable vendors of Eclipse glasses and buy off of their list. Right. That's what I did in my own work just fine. They were a little more expensive than they would have been on Amazon, but uh, I can see today. So yeah. I, uh, I I call that a win. Right. Well, I think there are there are other places too. I know a lot of people here in Indianapolis, um, the Children's Museum here in Indianapolis, which is really a fantastic place. Um, mm -hmm. They uh, had a big event, you know, an eclipse viewing. Uh, even though again it was overcast, but they provided glasses, and I'm sure you know we're perfectly fine that they would not endanger the eyes of <laughs> hundreds of children. <laughs> that right. would go very poorly for them, and I, I think that they're better than that. Uh, but. I, you know, the universities here in town, I know, also had eclipse viewings and, and provided glasses and things like that. So that's good, obviously, to have yeah. big like public institutions like that providing a safe way for people to view such an interesting scientific thing. Um, that having been said, uh, for me at least, living in Indianapolis, 2024 is going to be the year, hopefully, to view an eclipse as long as it's not overcast because there will be another total solar eclipse. And... Uh, not Indianapolis exactly, but just south of Indianapolis, uh, say like Bloomington and um, Columbus, Indiana, being two big cities that would fall into this, will have totality. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that because, you know, there's always always a good reason to uh, come back to the Hoosier State, Absolutely. and uh, seeing a total eclipse is is a pretty good reason. Right, and and I I mean. Seeing some of the pictures that um, some very, very uh, cool astrophotographers took um, of the eclipse with various interesting means, uh, it, you know, it really is a kind of an astounding phenomenon. It's something that, you know, we don't get to see that often. So, uh, mm -hmm. and something that hopefully we all can understand, you know, the big things. <laughs> uh, don't look at the sun. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't be like certain world leaders. Um, who really should know better. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if you, like you said, if you're going to uh, buy glasses, make sure they're legit. NASA mm -hmm. should be a good resource for that. Hopefully NASA will still exist in 2024. And just in general, science will still exist in 2024. Uh, uh. But, uh, yeah, if it does, and if NASA does, then uh, we'll check out the eclipse. And hopefully, unlike uh, in 70s, uh, the sun will not explode suddenly and without warning oh that's, the, the, that's moon. the moon the yeah, moon yeah hopefully the sun <laughs> either that would be that would be terrible uh neil stevenson please don't do that either uh um, yeah as catastrophic as the moon suddenly exploding uh that at least would you we would have some time yeah. but about eight minutes after the sun explodes we'd uh we'd start having a very bad time yeah very that, fast. Would be, that would be very very bad for us yeah. for a whole host of reasons uh which uh <laughs> We, I mean, we we could talk about that on a later episode. What uh, the sure. effects of the sun exploding would be. Uh, our first topic this week uh, is something that you brought up that's really interesting, uh, scientifically speaking, uh, is a new means of turning fatty acids into hydrocarbons that can be used as fuel, all like gasoline. Yeah. So at some point, Taylor may have to stop me because this is dealing with organic chemistry and I'm an organic chemist and I can talk for hours about this. So at some point, I'll have to be cut off. But let's see. Let's see if I can condense this. So the idea here is that uh, fatty acids are these chemical compounds. You put three of them together and one molecule of uh, it's called glycerin and you get fats. So triglycerides. I think most people have heard of triglycerides, but... If you, if you take a triglyceride apart, one of the major constituents you get is this fatty acid. And a fatty acid is a long chain of carbons, so carbon linked to carbon linked to carbon, with a bunch of hydrogens all decorated around the edges. And at the end, you have a functional group or a, a particular arrangement of atoms called a carboxylic acid. It's called a carboxylic acid because if you put it in water, it makes the water acidic. You can measure the pH. And the problem here is that a fatty acid looks a whole lot like 
gasoline. So gasoline is also just chains of carbons with hydrogens all around the edges, but it doesn't have that carboxylic acid at the end. It doesn't have those properties. And so even though the vast majority of the chemical looks very, very similar, that one group at the end of a fatty acid kind of ruins it. You can't really use fatty acids as gasoline because they don't have the same properties. They don't have the same melting or boiling points. They don't have the same solubilities. They're even though they look similar, they're effectively completely different com uh, chemical compounds. So what's really cool is there's this research group that found a bacteria, I want to think it's a bacteria, that has an enzyme that converts these fatty acids into long-chain hydrocarbons. So it pulls off the carboxylic acid at the end of this, uh, this fatty acid chain and turns it into a molecule that, for really all intents and purposes, looks exactly like diesel fuel. Right. So, so the long-chain hydrocarbons, for those who don't understand, um, which, you know, it's not super complicated, but with each carbon in a long-chain hydrocarbon that builds on it, um, you know, the, those are the hydrocarbons that people would know of. If you heard like octane or uh, propane or, or something along those lines, those are, those are all hydrocarbons, right? The, the principal molecule of the things that are in our fuels are hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you make them longer and longer, uh, yeah, propane's pretty short, has three carbons, butane has four, uh, they keep going. Eventually, octane has eight, you can kind of tell based on the, the naming. But as you get longer and longer, they, start, they stop behaving like gases and eventually start behaving like liquids. And you get them long enough and eventually they kind of get waxy and they, they turn into solids. So there's kind of a sweet spot um, for diesel that uh, I don't remember exactly how long they are, but there's this kind of sweet spot where they're um, they're long enough that they have a lot of energy, but they're short enough that they're not solids. And so diesel fuel uh, is, you know, I don't know if, you, if you've if you ever um, tried to start a diesel engine when it's really, really cold. Mm. Um, sometimes the fuel starts to gel a little bit, especially in a really cold winter. Do you guys ever have those problems on your, uh, on your, on your trucks? Well, um, ambulances now, at least the ambulances that we use where I work, um, are more and more often gasoline powered, but uh, okay. uh, you know, fire trucks are by and large still diesel powered, and older ambulances are. We do still have a few trucks that run on diesel, and yeah, that that's a big issue is that they do uh, the fuel does gel uh, below certain temperatures, and it can take a long time to start them if they're left out turned off, but. Um, you know, a lot of times what you would do in the past would just be you would never shut the truck off. Like the engine would just run and <laughs> run and run. And the good thing is diesel uh, engines, generally speaking, uh, well-built ones can idle and consume very little fuel, uh, which is good. But also um, a lot of modern diesel engines, particularly those that are used in cars and things like that, um, the, the glow plugs, which are essentially the equivalent of a spark plug in a gasoline powered car um, those glow plugs will uh, stay warmed up using battery power to keep uh, or to make it easier to ignite the fuel and then there are some mm. vehicles have um, you know fuel pan warmers and things along those lines that keep the fuel from uh, from gelling like that but even you know in some places it's even necessary to do that with gasoline engines and I my understanding is gasoline is mostly octane so like if you go to a uh, a gas station that says, you know, 85, that's 85% octane. Is that is that accurate, or am I making it's that up? sort of. Um, the, the octane rating is, it's related to the actual molecule octane, but it's it's not exactly. So most most uh, consumer automotive fuel is, it's got a lot of octane in it, but it also has some other things. Um, it's got a lot of toluene, uh, some cyclohexane, it, it's it's a blend usually, mm. but uh, at some point um, they they decided to come up with this octane rating. It, it basically because there's so many different kinds of gasoline that have different blends of different compounds. The octane rating is a way of saying exactly you know what uh, if it was octane. It's a it's a way of of um, evaluating how good that gasoline is. I guess. Hmm. Okay. I'm not a I'm not a fuel chemist, so right. it's I'm a little shaky in the details. Right, right, right. But any, at any rate, going back to the the article, um, yeah, they're able to take these uh, fatty acids and turn them into a simpler 
long chain hydrocarbon which can be used as fuel right so you know it when you said that they used to just kind of let the uh let the trucks idle that's not a real big problem when there's when fuel is cheap and plentiful but we're right. we're pretty rapidly approaching a state in which fuel is not cheap nor is it plentiful and so there's a lot of people trying to figure out how we can um, fix our fuel problems for the future and there are a lot of options, um, bioethanol, um, biodiesel. These are all good options, but they require changing the, uh, the engines of, of the vehicles that you're using. So they're not exactly the same uh, as gasoline or diesel, so you can kind of run them in a, in a normal engine, but usually you have to tune an engine to work well with the different type of fuel. So it'd be really nice if you could make the exact same chemical or chemically uh, type of fuel, but get it from a biological source. Right. And that's why this article is so exciting, because you can take a fatty acid, which is made by plants or bacteria or algae or whatever, and strip it down and make what is chemically identical to diesel fuel or gasoline. And right. you can put that into a regular car, and the car has no idea what the source of that fuel is from. Right. It just works. Because essentially, it's the same chemicals, just... The source is not, you know, broken down uh, dinosaur from, you know, millions and <laughs> millions of years ago. It's broken down, uh, well, I guess anything that has fatty acids in it. So theoretically, yeah. I, I know this is terrible, but the first thing that popped into my head with this was a sort of like Soylent Green, uh, no. but like the Soylent Green fuel. So I just imagine Charlton Heston screaming at people in a gas station that their their fuel is made of people. Uh, but we Ooh. do have a lot of fatty acids in us. I know that. Uh, so it's possible. More and more all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, uh, the, the boneless chicken wings that I had for dinner, I'm sure, had plenty of fatty acids in them that uh, I will regret. Um, mm. But uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a really cool thing. Yeah, it, it takes away that uh, economic hurdle, which is that a vehicle that runs on, let's say, bioethanol, for example, where they're taking corn uh, or some other grain uh, that has a relatively high amount of sugar in it, um, and uh, or of carbohydrates, I guess I should say, and breaking that down, making that into ethanol. So basically, they're making whiskey, uh, and really terrible whiskey, really terrible, terrible whiskey, uh, and distilling it to the point where it is pretty much entirely 100% ethanol, and then mixing that. Uh, to a certain extent with um, other, uh, you know, hydrocarbon-based fuels, petroleum-based fuels, gasoline, for example, um, or biodiesel, where they are um, taking, like, fryer oil and turning it into a kind of sort of like diesel um, fuel. Mm -hmm. This, you don't have to have a new engine. Uh, your vehicle doesn't have to be tuned differently. Like, for example, you know, with a vehicle that runs on ethanol, um, the amount of air intake that's required is very different. Uh, or, you know, with diesels, um, the systems that, you know, cause the, uh, the diesel to, to combust. And, and, or yeah, to your, your compression's all over yeah. the place. Right. So this, this, is, this is potentially a very huge thing. And if, if the process uh, is relatively passive, if it doesn't require a huge amount of energy to produce this, which it sounds like being made with bacteria... Uh, that this being a biological process really probably requires simple things like this. This would be its food. The fatty acids would be the bacteria's food. And then maybe I don't know if it's uh, what kind of bacteria it is, but light or water or something along those lines to make this happen. Yeah. So this particular bacteria that they're talking about is a photosynthetic organism. So it does it, it takes in light and uses that to generate energy. And the cool part about this is that. For every, every time you take a fatty acid and you turn it into a regular long-chain hydrocarbon, um, the way you that, that process takes a certain amount of energy, and usually you would have to provide some sort of energy, either through heat or you know feed the bacteria sugar or whatever. Mm -hmm. But what happens here is that the, the lost carboxylic acid group, actually you lose it as carbon dioxide. So carboxylic acid has two oxygens and a carbon, mm -hmm. and those two oxygens and the carbon end up as carbon dioxide. Right. And it's a pretty large energy release when that process happens, and 
that's how the bacteria fuels itself. Hmm. And that's where the bacteria gets its energy. That's fascinating. So this would be yeah. a, a particularly low energy process uh, to make this. So it would be relatively economical. Yeah. Hmm. And the best part is that you're not taking you're not taking um, land that can be used to provi- or provide food and making it making fuel out of it. So there's a lot of controversy with bioethanol and that most of the f- uh, the fuel or the the precursors are things you could feed people with right. and uh, I don't know uh, letting people starve so you can dry your drive your hummer um, feels feels kind of bad yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I like the idea of, of you know taking the state of New Mexico and just covering it in giant vats of uh, bacteria and algae and stuff and have a, have a processing plant where it just soaks up sunlight and one bacteria produces or one algae produces a bunch of fatty acids mm-hmm. and then they take those fatty acids give them off the top throw them into this second bacteria that decarboxylates them turns it into a hydrocarbon skim that off the top and put it in your car yeah yeah hmm. well that's fascinating it'll be interesting to see um you know obviously anytime fuel is involved uh and particularly replacing a petroleum-based fuel there is a certain amount of political uh, issues that you know come up. There are a, a huge amount of organizations and and a obscene amount of money that lobbies for the continual production of petroleum-based fuels. You know, harvesting and refinement uh, and sales. So anytime mm-hmm. anything like this comes up, it seems like those lobbying efforts can get in the way of that. At least the lobbying efforts on the part of the industry groups. Often, a lot of times, a lot of people don't realize this, that those fuel companies themselves uh their research and development departments and and the company overall tend to get behind these things more than the industry itself does uh, you know industry Mm -hmm. groups so it's really interesting um uh how that all works but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and if this is something that can be scaled up um and and produced you know in in on an economy of scale so that could potentially be filling our car up with true biogasoline instead of bioethanol yeah. or biodiesel. So yeah, and you're right. This is very small scale right now, and so it's it's proof of concept stage. But I think you raise an interesting question: is over whether whether or not we should actually be even doing this at all. Like the idea is that yeah, you can take biological source material and turn it into gasoline, but maybe ultimately the best option is to not use gasoline at all. Uh, this is just a it's kind of a drop in. It, you take instead of digging oil out of the ground and turning into gasoline, you grow algae and turn it into gasoline. But you're still eventually going to pump that carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. Right. And so it doesn't really help that much in the end. It doesn't really sequester any carbon. It, if anything, it just kind of recycles it over and over. Right. And I mean, if carbon dioxide is being produced by these bacteria, then it is definitely not a carbon neutral process, even if it is a extremely low energy process because it's biological and requires light uh that's probably using less energy that's currently being produced than um you know harvesting and refining petroleum but yeah you know ultimately just because it's a little bit better than the thing that we have now doesn't mean it's the best solution in the long run i mean i think probably i at least and you and and i would say that there are probably a decent number of people in the scientific community who believe that um, just electric powered vehicles and, and renewable sources of energy that are carbon neutral, like um, solar energy and wind energy and um, responsible hydroelectric energy uh, and hydrothermal energy are much better alternatives to fossil fuels uh, and any kind of hydrocarbon based fuel product whether it's biologically produced or produced from fossil fuel so um mm-hmm. it'll be interesting either way to see if anything does come of this or just in general where our uh economy of energy will go in the next uh I don't know, however long that we'll be around and our you know for our children and grandchildren and generations to come mm-hmm. all right so, so for a that, second topic. That having been said, yeah, uh, let's jump uh, in a totally different direction. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, I think yeah. we've talked about Star Wars before. For those of you who don't know, Star Wars is a space opera uh, <laughs> about the Skywalker family. And uh, 
no you you i'm assuming if you listen to this podcast that you have at least a basic understanding of star wars and if you don't you know there's this great website called wikipedia uh that can you can just take a deep dive down the star wars hole and see if you like it watch the movies um but uh there's a little bit of a huge star wars fan uh kind of demoralizing thing that happened which is uh that is ars technica is reporting uh a court has said that selling alterable or altered versions of star wars such as the uh despecialized edition which is a fan edited version of the original trilogy that removes all of the special edition things from it which is as i think you and i have both watched uh, and think is great. And there are other many, many other um, edits of the original Star Wars films or ways in which those films can be watched. I know for a fact that there is an edit of episode one that completely removes Jar Jar Binks. Um, <laughs> I think they even may have used some CG to like remove him in places where it wouldn't make sense for the movie to continue without him at least being a part of the movie mm-hmm. um, and use some very tricky and fun editing. But... Uh, there is a video on demand service, VidAngel, um, that has kind of been enabling this to happen. Uh, and, uh, it's been streaming versions of different movies, but, uh, particularly Star Wars, uh, films that are edited or different. Uh, you know, I think one of the, uh, issues that people had was, uh, the, scene in Return of the Jedi where or scenes in Return of the Jedi where Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia is or I'm sorry General Leia uh is wearing <laughs> you know the slave Leia bikini that uh Jabba the Hutt forces her to wear um and I think that, that was one of the edits that was available on VidAngel uh you know I mean I I feel kind of bittersweet about this it's it makes sense like this this is absolutely 20th Century Fox's legal right to say that you cannot distribute this without authorization. I get that. But also yeah. Lucasfilm in particular uh, has been, if not 21st Century Fox, definitely Lucasfilm has been very uh, proactive and even protective at times of fans who create things using the Star Wars intellectual property and even using the film's uh you know shots from the films and and dialogue from the films uh to create their own projects obviously not anything that they make any money off of uh with the exception of some people who make like you know handmade star wars crafts and things like that they've allowed that but um so it is a little disappointing that this can't continue yeah i I totally understand the the point behind this so the the idea here is that there might be some objectionable material in Star Wars and that some people will, they might want their kid or something or themselves to watch Star Wars, but without this particular objectionable material. So this, this VidAngel service would stream a an edited version of the movie, um, but every time they would stream it, they would buy a physical copy of the, of the film. So there's no, I think they did this just so that there was no possible way that anybody could claim, well, you know, Lucasfilm or Disney or whatever losing money on this stream because they're still purchasing a disc. They're just, you know, editing it and streaming it. And I get that. And I think that's, that's actually, I don't know, if you're, if you're in a, in a culture or whatever, where you think that there are some objectionable things in movies, but you still want to enjoy the the greatness that is Star Wars or whatever these other movies are, uh, this is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. But the idea the the court ruled that no, if you're selling a movie that you didn't make and you don't have copyright over, it's still copyright infringement. Which, right. ah, like I said, I I feel I'm conflicted about it. Um, in one sense, like I think you know, Star Wars is what it is, and George Lucas created it. And he directed at least the first movie. And, you know, he has the final say as being the, uh, or his company owning the intellectual property of Star Wars and everything that goes into that. And that being owned by Disney. But ultimately, I'm sure he retains 
uh, some level, even though he's not in charge of Lucasfilm anymore, some level of uh, rights over his intellectual property in creating Star Wars. And obviously a lot of other people's intellectual um, property in, in that other people created aspects of the universe. You know, Ralph McQuarrie created the, uh, a lot of the visual aspects of the universe, for example. Um, John Williams created the music uh, with the exception of uh, Rogue One, yeah, Rogue One, which was uh, uh, Michael Giacchino, but mm-hmm. it is their thing. So you take Return of the Jedi, for example, and there is the slave Leia bikini scene, and there's really no arguing that the point of putting General Leia, Carrie Fisher, in that bikini was to sexually objectify her. That was what Jabba the Hutt was doing. But mm-hmm. Jabba the Hutt was literally a giant evil slug, <laughs> and Leia strangles him with a chain to death. I mean, I think I, I understand, I totally understand why to some people um, having her in that bikini is objectionable, but I think there's a really cool and powerful thing in that she kills him, you know, that she takes this awful evil creature that is trying to control her and use her. And, and, you know, in the moment of their escape, strangles him to death with a chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that, again, that's gratuitous violence, which there is a lot of in the Star Wars universe. I mean, uh, in War the first is movie, right there in the title. people getting blasted with blasters in the first scene. And uh, there's a dude getting his, or, you know, an alien getting his arm chopped off in a cantina. And there's blood everywhere. I mean, it's not a, a perfectly clean and um, unobjectionable series of movies. Somebody mm-hmm. could find an objection with it. But I think that there are some people who have taken the Star Wars movies, for example, with the, um, the despecialized edition, and their goal was not to say this is better or this is, you know, this is official, but this is oh, a different way of saying it. This is if you want to see the movies in this quality without these special features these added things then this is the way to do that and there are you know there are other ways uh, in which editing these movies and redistributing them i think maybe didn't step on the toes of intellectual property as much as just present a different view of that intellectual property so it's an, mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing i feel conflicted about it i understand why some people may want to be able to watch return of the jedi without seeing carrie fisher in a bikini i understand that and i think that that's a reasonable thing if you don't want to see that but i think that that is a part of this movie and if you don't want to see that maybe this isn't your movie mm-hmm. i know that that's well, probably thing, a little controversial and or maybe you know if you want to see it and you don't want your kids to see it fast forward through it skip that scene uh if mm-hmm. your kid i think if you're if your kid or your babysitter well, whoever if, if a child is with you uh, or whoever that you don't think that it's appropriate for them to see this, chances are there may not be totally as into the movie as you are in the first place that skipping that scene will ruin the movie for them. Mm-hmm. But also, here's another you know thing, speaking to our culture, is it okay to show gratuitous violence but not show a woman in a bikini? You know, <laughs> um, can we say, you know, because we I think in our culture there's definitely signs that we objectify and and glorify violence and there are signs that we objectify and glorify um you know sexual oppression can we take this take these examples in movies and culture in general and and turn them around and not can we watch this movie and not sexually objectify carrie fisher in a bikini ourselves i feel very confident that i can do that um I feel like I can very confidently watch a violent movie and it not make me want to glorify violence and have it be something that I, you know, makes me want to go out and chop somebody's arm off in a cantina with a lightsaber. Mm. Although if I had a lightsaber, it'd be real hard not to just, uh, no, okay, no, no, don't chop somebody's <laughs> hand off. <laughs> don't, don't go down the, 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 if I had a lightsaber, what would I do route? Cause that's, a, <laughs> you know, uh, that is a, uh, a bad path to go down. I feel like I've been thinking about that kind of stuff since I was like six. Sure. And, and I have to. Uh, and if it, I'm honest, haven't really ever stopped. No, no. I, 
it's very easy to think sometimes, well, if I had a lightsaber, I could get out of the situation pretty easily. But that's the thing. Thinking things and doing them are totally different. It's okay right. to have a thought in your head. It's how you choose to respond to that thought that makes all the difference, I think. Right. Well, and, and that's why this is why I love science fiction, because it is it's a it's a mirror to our own culture. Like we, we talk about these fantastic things, but in the end, we're what are we, we're back here talking about objectif- objectification of women and, and violence and stuff. And it, it gives us a and besides being entertaining, it also gives us a, a, a conduit to talk about what we value as as people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, those are discussions we need to have. And. I think it's a great thing that uh, we're able to find that in our culture and and be able to have those conversations because that's, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if we're going to be able to get past as a culture this prominence of sexual objectification of women, which is something that is, you know, I feel confident to say runs rampant in our culture and is very destructive and evil uh, and bad, just really, really bad. And our just over glorification of violence and fascination with it um, that does lead some people without the proper um, ability to rationalize that to committing seriously horrible violent acts, which we see every day. Uh, I think if we're going to be able to get past that as a country, as a culture, as a world, fiction, and I think in particular maybe even science fiction, give us a window to a future where those things don't exist and allow us to talk about them or even give us a, f- a window to a future where they do exist and talk about them. Right. And still deal with them. Right. Um, I, yeah, I still, I, I like the idea that this company was doing where they can kind of, they can decide, well, if you're, if you're not ready for this part of a movie, but you really want to see the movie cause you think it's important, then we'll, we'll give you this. But, uh, one of the things that the the court brought up is that even though this is a you know this is a really good that their their heart's in the right place, um, it would be really easy for a service to exist that could do something very simple. But maybe the objectionable material is the credit sequence at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, or some some other thing like that where it's like, well, yeah, I don't really usually like watching the credits either but that's in the movie because there's a lot of people who work really hard on that movie and they deserve at least their name on the screen at the very least right and i i Um, I can say you know i i've i've never had my name in the credits of a movie but you know we both went to ball state uh, and a lot of people who went to ball state not a lot of people but a fair number of people that i know there have ended up going into film and television and there's something really cool in a credit scene about seeing somebody like, Hey, I, I went to school with that guy. Yeah. You know, and, and those people, when that happens, that's very exciting for them. Like you're one of the 20 people in the like makeup department, uh, or one of the, you know, you're the second assistant grip or something like that. Just some mm-hmm. minuscule thing to the general public, but to you or to people who work in film, like that's very, very cool and very gratifying. And, you know, credits though, are maybe not the most enjoyable part of the movie are super important. And that's a mm-hmm. good point that that's something that could very easily be removed. So this, you know, that angel service, as you said, as I say, as the court said, it sounds like their heart was in the right place. It's a great idea, but it does create a backdoor for people to create a similar service, use the same um, way of distributing this material and taking out things but it also could lead to censorship that takes away um important social aspects of a film so let's say Mm -hmm. you know a government said okay we're going to provide you with the streaming service and you know they play movies like citizen kane uh or um to kill a mockingbird or other important political uh or films with important political morals in them um, but let's say instead of in To Kill a Mockingbird, um, you know, the, oh gosh, I can't remember what the, the character's name the, um, that Atticus Finch is representing the defendant. Mm-hmm. But say that instead of in the court scene, the overwhelming body of evidence showing that he was not guilty and them still moving to convict, the overwhelming body of evidence 
being removed and just showing that oh well he's guilty well now it's a totally different movie it's a movie about a a, a, a black man who very obviously uh, assaulted a woman and that reinforces negative racist stereotypes that kind mm-hmm. of thing can happen um there's a uh <laughs> really terrible bad awful but incredibly fun sci-fi movie called iron sky uh where oh is that the one with the space nazis yeah nazis on the moon uh, and yeah. um there's a scene at the beginning where this nazis moon nazi teacher is teaching her class of moon nazi children uh and they use uh part of uh the film um uh, the great dictator with charlie chaplin which is a film that is totally and completely politically motivated against totalitarianism and against um hitler and the nazis and fascism uh but in the movie this the moon nazis you know and they cut it down to a 10 minute short film where it's just charlie chaplin as hitler basically and there's no dialogue or anything like that and they're like and this shows that the great actor charlie chaplin was such a a tremendous supporter and beloved of our Fuhrer you know it's like that kind of thing could actually happen though in real life in the future they could take uh media that exists now and in the future cut out some very important things and make it totally different and I think that again this kind of thing opens up a back door to that hopefully it won't happen Mm -hmm. but you know like I said I I feel very conflicted about it um I think it has possibility to do both good and evil but yeah, for now, bummer. Least, uh, the court has shut it down. So yeah, it's a bummer that this uh, that this uh, particular company is not really allowed to do this because I think one of the problems here is that if you said, well, this company is allowed to do it because they're you know removing objectionably moral you know material, um, but then obviously there'd be a company if they were just removing the credits. Well, that's not cool. Right. So somewhere in the middle of that is a line. And mm-hmm. you would have to somehow define that line, right. and then you'd have to define what's objectionable, and it gets very, very messy very, very quickly. And mm-hmm. really, the only rational thing to do is just say, well, no, nobody can do any of this. Yeah. We're sorry. Which yep. happens sometimes in legal cases, which, again, is kind of a bummer. But, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that, um, you know, we will never really get a legal distribution of the despecialized edition, which is excellent. Mm. Um, if you can find a copy that fell off the back of a truck, uh, it's really great. Um, although there are some versions of Star Wars that really actually aren't versions that you distribute necessarily. It's more like a suggested watching order. Mm-hmm. So I, I brought this up. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. There's something called the Machete Order. Uh, I don't actually know where that name came from, but it's it's a suggested order of watching the Star Wars saga that's not exactly obvious at first. Um, so they start with Star Wars, or the original movie, A New Hope. Then they go to The Empire Strikes Back. And then they roll it back to Episode 2, so Attack of the Clones. Then Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. And then they finish it off with Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. And I guess you would assume then, now that there are more, you would keep watching from there. Um, that's a really interesting watch order. I don't, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that, Taylor? Well, I, I've been trying to think about it and trying to rationalize it. I could certainly understand the skipping one. I don't think that <laughs> one is entirely necessary to watch. Misa, um, a terrible character. Yeah, no. And, and like I said, there is a version where Jar Jar Binks has totally been removed. And I, I despite any intellectual questions that i may have i for whatever reason just need your wholeheartedly support that um but so the idea of skipping from um the empire strikes back which is i think probably a lot of people i've heard have said this and i I would say this is the best of the star wars films um and then going back to attack of the clones uh and revenge of the sith is an interesting idea i would almost say i would put two and three after four um but that's not really definitive and i guess i've never watched it in that order to know for sure but one thing we do know and you mentioned this uh, before we started recording is that um you know the last jedi is coming out in december uh and we will almost certainly uh be re-watching the star wars films leading up to that so 
we will have to figure out what order in which to watch them. Are we just going to go one, two, three, four, five, six? Are we going to go four, five, six, one, two, three? Are mm-hmm. we going to do this machete order and go four, five, two, three, six? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of questions. Uh, and uh, let me ask this uh, to the listeners uh, out there. Maybe you could uh, send us a message on Twitter uh, or hit us up on Facebook uh, or send us an email and let us know what your preferred order for watching the Star Wars films is and why. Because it would be very interesting, uh, I think, to hear from other people. Like I said, I would imagine anybody that listens to this podcast is probably at least somewhat a Star Wars fan uh, or at least seen the movies. And uh, Mm -hmm. I'd be very interested to hear what other people have to say about this because I'm sure this could be a very controversial topic, especially if we claim to be experts, which to be clear, (laughs) I definitely at least do not. Uh, yeah, me either. <laughs> right. But that um, having been said, um, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up, and and we'll let you know in the next episode what uh, uh, we'll kind of summarize what other people have said about that because I'd be very interested, uh, and I will ask some people. Uh, but uh, you know, go ahead and send us a message uh, on Twitter. We are twitter.com forward slash cyanorphy or at cyanorphy. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash cyanorphy. Uh, you can send us an email, scienceandorfiction at gmail.com. None of the punctuation, uh, except for the at between fiction and gmail. Uh, you can also, <laughs> and we would very much appreciate if you do, go to our Patreon page. That is patreon.com forward slash fi. There you can see our awesome Patreon uh, video and see our faces for the first time. Uh, and uh, let us know if we look like what you thought we would look like based on our voices. Uh, it'd be very <laughs> interesting to know. But uh, definitely, if you can and would like to, please uh, become our patron. Subscribe to us uh, for just as little as a dollar, really, a dollar a month. Every little dollar a month helps us keep making this easier. It helps with the hosting costs. Uh, it helps with production costs. And you know, We kind of talk about in the video what all goes into it and why it costs us money to make this. But... Uh, just a little bit is all we need really. And every little bit helps. So thank you for Tony, uh, our first subscriber. Uh, hopefully we will have some more to talk about, uh, uh, next week, but, uh, for the science and or fiction podcast, this has been episode 10. I am Taylor Sloan and I'm Lucas Moore. We'll talk to you next time.